Welcome to It's Contemplated, a podcast where three friends contemplate different themes on what it means to be human. My name is Jordan Gingau, and I'm a screenwriter and filmmaker from the Bay Area. My name is Koji. Um, I am a, currently a barista and pursuing a master's degree in research psychology. My name is Mark, and I am a registered nurse out in Washington. Um, and the topic we're talking about this month is identity. Yeah, and identity is, I think, is a great topic for us, especially on our first episode, um, to talk about, you know, who we are. And that's kind of straight to the point of um, what it is to be human, too, because at its animals, we are unique in the sense that we have a sense of self. So I kind of wanted to dissect, like, what it means, like, what does it mean to have a sense of self? Like, what does that consist of? Um, you know, when we introduce ourselves, we introduce our names, obviously, you know, there's like things like ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, like spiritual beliefs, all these things that kind of surround ourselves, but what is really at the core of the self? Yeah, I mean, it's weirdly complicated and simple at the same time. Um, I think a lot of where we find self, uh, an idea of self is just through lived experiences and, and how that shapes and molds us as individuals. And, you know, the, the things we go through every day, you know, definitely has a, a large impact on how we, how we are. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting that you brought up experiences um, <clears throat> because, I mean, obviously without our experiences, we wouldn't be ourselves, quote unquote. 100%. Right. So then there's like that behavior slash experience that kind of makes up the self. Yeah. Uh, for the month, I, I, I focused on um, memory and I, you know, as I was like meditating on identity and I was like, I was writing a short film. Right. And I came up with this line that basically is, is this quote uh, word for word. It's life is a string of, of memories that feel like daydreams. And when I, when I think about like, like who I am and what makes me uniquely me, it, it is really this collection of memories of like experience that I've had in the past that I can vaguely remember that have a long lasting emotional impact that make me, me. Um, and I, I watched a movie specifically because of this, um, I, so it's, it's a movie called Afterlife. It was made in 1998. It's a Japanese film um, directed by Hirokazu Koreeda. And uh, it is, it is like, a, like a really big like cult film. And essentially the, the um, premise of the film is that there, there are like all these people who have died. And they're like, they appear in this like purgatory area that is just like this hotel in Japan. <laughs> but when they, when they appear there, they're all asked to pick one memory that they will live with for eternity. And essentially they have like a, I'm not going to spoil the film because I think it's like really interesting and everybody should watch it. But they then um, like the crew of like the hotel or the place they're staying at, they recreate that like on sets and like with video cameras. But yeah, the basic gist of the whole movie is just like, 
all these like typical ordinary Japanese people who have passed away at like different ages and for different reasons um, in their lives are all tasked with the, the choice of like picking one memory for your life. What memory would you want to recreate and what memory would you want to live with for an eternity? Um, and I think that's the question I kind of wanted to pose to you two was just like, I, I think it's such an interesting like thought experiment. Right. Um, and it's so interesting because there's a lot of uh, different examples in the movie. There's like one where it's just like a guy just chooses the moment where he's like reading the newspaper on, in the morning with his wife. Another one is just like his wife making dinner for him. There's a guy who's a pilot and there's a moment where he like remembers um, of like drifting between the clouds in the air. Uh, there are people there who are like, sometimes the memories are like too painful and I don't want to live with any of them. Yeah. So yeah, yeah I want to, I want to know what your, what your, your thoughts on that are. Yeah. That's, that's a super interesting question. I definitely want to answer that. And then I also want to like talk about some things that you said. Yeah. Um, like memory in itself is a really interesting way to think about identity because not everything we can consciously remember. And I think actually what we can remember is, is probably the minority. Like it's probably way less than what we don't remember consciously. So memory is interesting because we can say that we remember something, but we can also forget things. And then we can re-remember things, right? So it's just like, re-remember? That's very, <laughs> that's very redundant. But remembering things is essentially not only memorizing, but then being able to recall it or at a specific moment, recalling it. So that's, that's super interesting to think about. And also I wanted to, to mention, like, you talked about meditation. Mm -hmm. And I think that's like a super interesting topic too that I want to touch later on. Because this month, <clears throat> I was like really busy. And then my habits like meditating, exercising kind of fell through. So I actually didn't meditate this month, most for the most of the month, which is like kind of rare for me. And I kind of, I kind of lost that like sense of self. Like I was thinking to myself, like, dude, like who am I? What am I doing? Like without meditating, without like centering myself, I, I kind of lost in a weird way, like a sense of self, like I'm, I'm sure I existed, obviously. What, what's that sense of self like for you? For me, it's like being centered of like what I want to do in this world or like what, mm. I, what I want, like who I want to be. And that was really hard to focus on. I, it just felt like I was like, um, like doggy paddling, like I was barely staying afloat. Yeah. So that's something I really want to touch on later. And then to answer your question about which memory I would choose. <clears throat> that's interesting because I think choosing one means how do you want to define yourself? Yeah. Right. That's the question you're being asked. Like, because obviously if you had a choice, you wouldn't remember these painful experiences. You wouldn't want to define yourself by them, but without those painful experiences and painful memories you wouldn't exist like you, like you as of now wouldn't exist so not choosing those painful experiences is 
kind of counterintuitive in a sense because like yeah if you're choosing just the happy ones like are you are you really you right yeah and i think there's a philosopher like that that's saying like pain is the human experience and like you should be trying to embrace pain and it's life is how you like how you interact with pain just just about the whole pain thing i think it's definitely like a dichotomy right like it's both the experience of pain and pleasure because if it's only pain then that is in itself just pain and if we only experience pain then we wouldn't necessarily know that it's pain but if we experience pleasure too you know like then we'll know that pain is pain and we appreciate the the moments that are pleasurable so i think like part of the human experience really is just understanding and like living and accepting the dichotomies the good and the bad and you know that the good memories and the bad memories the, the memories we choose to repress the memories we choose to live in and, and i think that's what makes like looking through jordan's way of of identity of of looking through memories is how fluid that allows our identity to become you know like we don't remember things necessarily like objectively, right? Like we, yeah. mem- we remember things kind of differently, especially the longer we live and the more things we experience. And, and I think that's what like is so liberating about looking through self through memories is that can change your identity as self can change and change isn't always bad. You know, I think that's a good thing and i find it very like uh beautiful that we we don't have to just choose one memory to to like set a standard for who we want to be like that changes you know every yeah. every second we breathe and and so looking through memories like that's such a beautiful way of looking at self yeah because it changes and it can be and it's okay to change no i think that that's really important because i also had a quote from the director <laughs> That like it touches upon your guys's what you well, both both of you were talking about, where this thing is just like our relationship to the memories change as we grow, right? Um, and I'll and I'll, and I'll read a quote directly from the director that I thought that you guys were really like touching on, which I think is really cool. Um, but this is this from the director um, about like making the movie. Um, he says, "I saw that human emotions are the sparks that fly when truth and fiction collide." In this film, I wanted to explore the consequences of such collision by investigating the uncertain area between objective record and recollection. Although the memories in Afterlife are presented as real experiences that are later reconstructed as film, you can't really distinguish the stories characters tell as truth and the recreations as fictions. They intertwine with great complexity. Our memories are not fixed or static. They are dynamic, reflecting selves that are constantly changing. So the act of remembering, of looking back at the past, is by no means redundant or negative. Rather, it challenges us to evolve and mature. It's fluid. I love that. I love that. And it's like, it's touching on like something that is really, really underestimated and it's the fluidity like mark said of like memory in a sense that it's not something that we can hold on to as a solid past i mean i think like objective records may exist right it's hard to find because anything in history is also written by somebody right 
Yeah. And so like, it's hard to say that there's like a definite, definite past. Like there's like, you know, like crazy theories, like, oh, like what if an alien just has implanted your brain, this like implanted your memories, all your memories from the past this morning. Yeah, what if we're in the matrix? Right, right. So it's like, <laughs> it, it's, it's, um, it's amazing that like we can touch on this because um, it's for one, obviously we're saying that now the past, what we consider the past, which is basically our memories, can be affected by the present. Right? Yeah which can also be affected by expectation in the future. So, so it really get, kind of gets rid of the time aspect of self of like saying that like you can't say that this, like you can't really tie in a solidified concrete version of yourself at this concrete time. Um, so that's one thing. And then Mark was also touching on like kind of yin and yang of like, like pleasure and pain, right? You can't really have like pleasure without pain. Um, so that had me thinking like for memory, like if you choose a happy one and that's all you have, that might be painful, right? So Yeah. It's also the thing like they're they're not fixed and, and they're not static, you know, like they're dynamic and they change like the relations we have with our memories change over time. Yeah. What could be happy at one moment? Five years later, when you're you're old, can be sad, you know. Yeah. And and I think day to day, that also changes moment to moment. That it, it changes. Um, and at least to me, like being a writer, it's it's just so similar to like like the memories we have and the memories we hold on to and the memories that define us. It, it is very similar to me because it's just like you're creating the narrative of who you are. And you're creating the narrative of your life, you know, like you're not necessarily writing it down, but like subconsciously, you know, these, these memories that really stick out to you, they define you and they, it's not a hero's journey, but it's, it's kind of, it's, it's creating the narrative of who you are, you know, um, and what, what defines you. Right. And that's always changing. So, <laughs> yeah, it kind of goes back to like what you said of like how, memories affected by different things right mm -hmm. so it's not it's not really solid i'm thinking like okay then what is a solid memory like what is the purest form of memory that's not <laughs> affected by anything and i was thinking like okay like maybe like the first memory that you have Dang, yeah. but then i was thinking like okay well if you're recalling it then the state that you're recalling it will affect the memory so then is there ever a point in time that you have a pure memory? Like, yeah. Does there need to be a pure memory? Good question. Good question. <laughs> this is my thought experiment. Like, damn, is there, is there such thing as a pure memory? I don't think so. Do you want to know what the other side of this is? Just like, <laughs> like the, the kind of like dystopian side of this is. <laughs> Yeah, go for it. So I was reading a short story um, by Ted Chang. It's in his collection of short stories called Exhalation. Um, and Ted Chang, he wrote most famously um, the the short story that was a source material for the movie with Amy Adams, um, where she talks to aliens. Sorry, let me just pull that up. Um, he wrote the short story that Arrival is based on, the 2016 movie with Amy Adams. Um, but it, it's um, essentially, he wrote a short story called The Truth of Fact and the Truth of Feeling. So a part of the story 
is like this uh, speculative sci-fi uh, like report, like this kind of like the magazine report about um, a technology called REMM. And it's essentially like a, um, an AI technology that records every moment of your life into a database. So you can flick through all of the memories and all the experiences you've had to reference like what actually happened. So it's like a speculative story about like, what if we did catalog and record every experience that we had so we could never forget something that happened to us. And he makes a really interesting point where it's like, if we were able, if we had the technology to record everything that happened to us, our ability to forgive and forget would be gone. You know, we have to forget a little bit before we can forgive. And he goes into like in the story about like, how couples would use this in like fights to prove if when the other person was lying or when the other person was being like hypocritical, they would always have evidence that they lied. And he says like, it's kind of like essential for human humans to, you know, forgive and to forget. And if we had this clear record of everything that we did, it prevents like, that ability to make infuriating offenses pardonable in the mirror of hindsight. It prevents the softening needed for forgiveness to really begin. So like, even if we did have that idea of like a pure memory or like a pure, like recollection of something that happened, I I don't know if that's necessarily like, I don't know. I don't know if that's distinctly like human nature to have that. I think there are some people who have like distinct like photo memories. There's like one or two people like in the history of the world who've ever had that, you know, but I, I think for most people like, yeah, I, I just think it's, it's within our nature to like forget. And it's, it's kind of like essential for survival to forget and then eventually forgive and, you know, to pardon I I agree. There's um like I really like that you mentioned survival because that thought process kind of led me to this this kind of like thought process of what what it means to forget and why that's a survival like what it means for survival and what it means like for humans. And humans obviously we are very social animals and as we are evolving we relied on our social spheres to keep us alive. So basically any, anything like social, like social outcasting and like why rules even work in human society is because we are programmed to value being part of a tribe, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Whether that means, you know, like you want to fit in, whether that means you want to fit into the people that don't fit in, like, you know, like it shows itself in different ways in current society, but it is still very much a very human instinct to want to be part of a tribe. And, and what that means for forgetting is if you don't forget, and if you can't forgive, like you said, um, there's going to be so much, um, what is it called? Like not fury, um, like grudge that's held. It makes, it makes conflict easier. Yeah, it may, there's so much resentment within that tribe that there's no way that this tribe can can survive um, because everyone's just trying to shoot each other in the back. Um, so it makes sense that it's a survival thing. And then I also kind of wanted to touch, like, t- 
tie this in with the self, but Mark, if you have anything. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the one place that I could definitely see not ever forgetting fit is the justice system. Yeah. <laughs> I think that would help a lot, but day to day life, like God, I, I have such a difficult time accepting things and letting things go. And so to have that in a factual state, that would suck even more. <laughs> like, yeah, right. I would feel like so stagnant with relationships, with mindsets to just not be able to see past objective truth. And, and I think that's what makes us so human is things aren't objective, you know, like maybe math, some aspects of math is objective, but everything else is pretty subjective. And the fact that we're all kind of living somewhat in peace and things aren't burning to shit, like is quite impressive, you know, but I think it is because we have that, you know, nature of forgetting of repressing in a certain extent. And it kind of helps us survive. And I, I think that, I think that's kind of beautiful. I don't know. Um, in terms of identity, like things, things have been kind of difficult, you know, like uh, I'm definitely in that one Erickson's stage of intimacy versus isolation. You know, I think that's the age group I've fallen and I feel it so hard when I was like learning this in psychology, I thought it was really dumb, but now I see it so loudly in my life, like the different stages we go through. And there was a time period where I felt so strong, uh, like a strong sense of identity and self. And I thought I knew who I was. And, you know, to just be reminded that that's, not, you know, nothing's permanent. Uh, the environment you choose and the environment you surround yourself with changes you. And I think it's a blessing and a curse that I've been able to you know, break past certain identities and, you know, I wasn't really happy with who I was, but now that I'm in this stage where I've completely detached myself from where I used to live, like I have that opportunity to find new identities. Yeah. But I think the caveat to that is just being so utterly lonely, you know, and, and trying to find who I belong with and, and where I belong. Uh, and I think it's one of the most uncomfortable things to sit with. I, I think we talk about meditation, right? Like yeah. a couple of days ago, I was, I was feeling really, really sad. Like uh, this, this different kind of sadness. It felt, I don't know, it felt different. And um, I tried meditating, but it was so hard to meditate and sit with all the, the discomforts and, you know, all that stuff. Because a lot of it kind of came from not really having a strong sense of identity right now and, and how scary that has been for me. I, I no, I, I get that. Cause I've been reading, I've been reading like a lot of books about acting. Um, and, and one of the, um, one of the activities you do, I think this is like around like method acting, but it's like a, it's a, it's a, it's around like this, this guy named Eric Morris, but in his teachings, um, he, he does an exercise where you, where you just like sit there, and you meditate a little bit and you, you allow every emotion you feel to like come to your, to come to your brain, to your mind. And you acknowledge that it's like inside of you, you know, cause I think a lot of us are like taught at an early age that you're not entitled to your feelings. Yeah. You know, like when people tell you when you're angry, when you're a kid, you're like, they're like, Oh, you need to calm down. Like there's never that really, you know, like it's always a justification that you're, you're, 
you're acting up, you know, and it's, it's, it's that common thing of like, you're not entitled to what you feel. And I think that's, and for me, like I've, I've been like doing these exercises, like these acting exercises and I'm like, Oh yeah. Like that's, I've been feeling that for like so long, you know, being the youngest kid and like having your older brothers just kind of be like screw ups or just like having trouble with the law when you're growing up. It's like, you're the one that has to be good. You know, I, I felt like I was, I had to be that, um, when, since I was like in middle school to when I was a teenager and it's like, you can't mess up like your older brothers, you know? And that in, you just feel this overwhelming sense that you're not entitled to feeling angry, to feeling bitter or like all these negative feelings and you just kind of like push them away. And I, I just don't think that has a legacy within me now, you know, cause I can, I still feel those feelings, but I still don't feel entitled to them. And it was just so interesting doing these exercises because it's like, if you really want to be able to like access emotion while you're on stage or, you know, acting, the first thing you have to feel is you have to feel entitled to the emotions that live inside of you. Because if you don't, it's not going to be real. It's not going to project onto the screen. It's not going to project onto your performance. And I, I think a lot of people feel that same way that they're not entitled to what they feel, you know? And then the truth of the matter is like, you're entitled to everything you feel, all the heartbreak, all the bitterness, all the anger. And to like circle back, I think that's kind of like where forgiveness kind of comes from, where you can kind of feel entitled. And as you allow time to kind of like soften um, the blow of those like offenses and those mistakes. But I also think there comes like a healing when you feel, you can feel entitled to like the anger you feel, you know? Yeah. Or the fear or the negative emotions. You know, I, I, I feel like uh, a lot of the time when we, we feel things, we just try and numb it out. Yeah. With mindless entertainment. And, you know, like I used to be that one guy that would just never be on his phone. I think my proudest moment in my life was when my uh, screen time was like less than eight minutes for like you weeks, get the report you know? on your phone. Yeah. Yeah. It was like super low. Now it's the only time that you're looking at your phone is that report. <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly. that, for eight like, minutes. that was it. You know, and, and to draw back to your question, Jordan, of like yeah. if I could think of one memory, like I think one memory that I would I wish I could identify with right now is just back when I would just have these conversations with these strangers, you know, like I would I'd go out on a day to day basis and just talk with these homeless people and yeah. like that sense of just being in the moment never felt so real to me, uh, you know, than, than those moments and, and just being able to talk and like hear people's experiences. It's just, you live in those experiences. And yeah, now it's like, I can't even sit for like a moment without trying to just numb it out. And, and I think that's why I'm having such a, a hard time finding that sense of identity because I, I just can't sit with it anymore. You know, yeah. I think when you do have that time and space to reflect like your repressed memories and the things that hurt you or the things that made you happy, like they become so concentrated. And like you said, you know, with like method acting, what was it guy, the Heath Ledger, didn't he do method yeah. acting where he just locked himself in a room for weeks and sat with it? Yeah. Like, and just sat with it and journaled about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so like that has been so uncomfortable. <laughs> and that's why I can't figure out who I am because I can't sit and listen to it because it hurts. You know? But it's so interesting that you, you talk about like, the conversations you had with like homeless people, I think it's like, it's not like one person bearing their soul to another. It's kind of like you kind of come into that space and you, I don't know, you, you hold each other's kind of like 
energy, whatever they bring to that conversation, you're essentially just like holding each other, you know, um, through that conversation. They're not bound to any societal norms. And that's why yeah. I really loved talking to them because they had no intentions in the conversation. They had no means of gaining something from you or anything. It was just, they were just talking, you know, about like what has happened in their life and what they're feeling, what they're talking about. There's just no, there was there was nothing for them to get the upper hand on you or compete with. There was nothing. And, and, and I think that's what's so hard about talking to people nowadays where there's always, it always feels like there's that intention, you know, like, yeah. And it's like when you're having those conversations, you're building a bridge across like different backgrounds, different life experiences, you know, different, you know, all these different nuance kind of like things that make you, you are, you're building bridges to that other person. You're actively, you know, it's that, that, that feeling of being like of actively trying to connect with the other person. Um, I think that's hard. That's such like, that's such like hard work to do. I think, you know, especially when you like, if you're in an awkward situation, just go on your phone and scroll to pretend that you're doing something interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I want to like name a couple of things that you all said, which I thought was really important. Like Jordan, you talked about, not feeling entitled to your emotions, mm-hmm. kind of suppressing. And then Mark, you said numbing. And I think those two are both this thing in psychology we call like emotional self-control. And it's a um, it's a value that is held in collectivist society often more than individualistic society. Um, and East Asians especially are very prone to that. <laughs> and it comes also with like masculinity, emotional self-control. Yeah. Like, don't feel don't hurt right you're you're strong like you don't cry whatever um but there's this idea of like the less emotion that you feel the more manly the stronger you are or like like the better kind of right and what we're trying to say here is is no like the emotional emotion is really important you're entitled to every single emotion and then the other thing I wanted to point out, which just kind of leads to that, is when you feel those emotions, it's really important to feel it. But the the reason why we need to feel it, I think, is because when we're trying to suppress it, when we're trying to do emotional self-control, what it is, is we're actually holding onto that emotion mm-hmm. and we're grasping onto it really tight and we're trying to bury it underneath. But because we're burying it, our hands are just always on it. We're always trying to grasp but then feeling it, what is, is kind of like releasing it in, it's like kind of, kind of counterintuitive because you would think that like suppressing it, not seeing it is letting go, but it's more about feeling it, it is the closest way, is the fastest route to letting it go. And I think that's really why it's important. And that speaks to, again, what we were talking about, the fluidity, the not, never like non-permanence of emotion, of memory, of self, right? It's it, because it's not permanent. You have to let it come with the knowledge that it's not permanent. But if we hold on to it, it is permanent. It's permanent as long as we hold on to it. It's all about and the act of letting go. Right. But feeling it is not is a very temporal thing. Letting like feeling it is a temporal thing. Holding on to it, suppressing it is an active thing. Like it's a very ongoing thing. So that kind of ties into what I wanted to get out of like the Buddhist concept of non-self. In Pali, it's non-self or substancelessness. It means like that nothing is permanent, basically. And that includes 
the concept of self. Like the self is not permanent and there is no such concrete thing as self. And a lot of our problem is because we think we have a permanent self. And like, I think it applies to so many different things. And this is one of them, right? Because we think this painful experience is part of ourself, it is unchanging. Like it's always going to be painful or this person has hurt me and like I am permanently hurt. Like, right. These things are, it's, it bothers us so much because we think it's permanent and we think it's a permanent reflection on our permanent self. But once you let go of like such thing as permanent self, it's kind of scary at the same time relieving. And the reason why it's scary is because, you know, Mark and I were talking about losing a sense of self because we weren't meditating or because we were in a bad headspace. And because we want to lean in on the sense of self or when you're in such a space, like that keeps us sane, like, right. Just like being able to say, this is who I am. And like, I'm doing nursing because of this and this and this. And because I, I I'm doing this, I love nursing. Like for me, like I'm pursuing my master's degree because of this and like trust the process, whatever, like having a sense of self is, is very nice because it feels like you can lean back on it, but then take that away without recognizing that it, we have no permanent self. It's super scary. It's just like we got like the rug pulled underneath us. Right. So no, that's so interesting. It's, it's good to hear this. So it's really funny because I wanted to talk about identity because I wanted to bring this up of, I knew, I know everything that I think of, of identity will eventually lead me back to this of we have no permanent identity. Like we have no identity in the sense that it's often talked about. Like that's nothing, it's not concrete. It's not, that's what we talk about when we talk about identities is something that's not there. And then like the, the question naturally is like, so then like, what do we have, you know? We have the moments, the hourglass thing. Yeah. <laughs> the, the kind of like this active moment now. Exactly. That's what, I think that's what's so like, not dangerous, but I think it's what a lot of us kind of suffer from is we forget moments, you know, like we, we live in such a fast paced society where it's always thinking about what's next, what's next, you know, and, or else you're falling behind. And I think a lot of people end up just not really understanding who they are, at least in that moment and the implications it has in their actions. You know, like I think when you have the intention in that moment and space of recognizing who you are and who you want to be, it becomes a lot easier to have actions that reflect upon that. Right. And so a lot of people, maybe I, even myself included, like we, we don't recognize what we are and who we are in those moments or are, we don't recognize the actions and the consequences those actions have. And, yeah. and I think that's, what's so hard, <laughs> you know, like having that perfect balance of moment to, okay, there is a next day. Or, hey, what happened here? And how can I better learn from that? It's like so hard to find the balance between those things. Yeah, the balance is difficult because I really like that you said, like you mentioned, like who you want to be, right? That's like, it's a really hard balance because like hustle culture is all about who you want to be. Like, right? and then mindfulness is of like, no, it's like, it's who you are right now. But I think there is that balance of like, Obviously, no one's like perfect. Like you can be more this way, you can be more this way, but we can't 
do that by looking at the future. Like we have to look at the now of like, what am I doing? Who am I now? And then that in turn kind of helps you become the person you want to be. I love that we talked about, we introduced the concept of self through the discussion of memory. Yeah. And then like it kind of led us to now. <laughs> yeah. I really love that. And that's a really good first episode, y'all. Yeah. It is. Wow. See you all at the next episode. That was our discussion on self and identity. And hope you all enjoyed.